What's up, everybody, and welcome back to episode 72 of the 1% Podcast. We got a little switch up for you today. I have a repeat guest to my business partner, Matt Kuglin. Matt, thanks for joining me again. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, man, absolutely. So what we're going to get at today, we're sitting in the office. We figured it'd be good to kind of go through what it takes to buy a home uh, for all you guys that are looking to buy a home. So we're going to go through kind of the ins and outs of the home buying process, what you can expect, some documents you should probably be prepared to collect or have collected already. Um, and then we'll kind of go through some misconceptions of the home buying process and then just kind Kind of talk through what to expect once you're under contract because we have had you know a lot of clients that maybe be first time home buyers that don't really know what to expect. I mean, Matt, I know you've kind of dealt with this as well, but once people go under contract, they're like, Oh, what's earnest money? What are all these things? So just figure we can kind of get into the nitty gritty and kind of teach some people about what to expect once they go through the home buying process. Absolutely. I think buying a house seems like a daunting task, but if you're prepped, which it's really not a ton of preparation, uh, you're going to know what's going to come next and it's it's a smooth process. Yeah, no, absolutely. Especially if you're working with people who know what they're doing, which we like to think we know what we're doing, uh, be able to help you kind of streamline the process and make it as smooth and you know, as least stressful as possible because a lot of people have some crazy home buying stories, but we like to make sure that it's, you know, smooth and everything goes well for not only you, but the agent that you're working with as well. So to kind of get started, what I wanted to brief with is like, let's talk about some common misconceptions in the home buying market. As far as first time home buyers, you know, we got the 20% down. Everybody thinks you got to put 20% down to buy a home. It is really just 3%. So, you know, let's talk about some of those products we have for first time home buyers and then kind of get into the documents and all that good stuff. Yeah, no, I think the biggest product, uh, that we just got our hands on was that borrow smart yep. product where um, not only are you getting better pricing than someone who's purchasing their second house, but you're actually getting a $3,000 grant with no, uh, no strings attached. Phenomenal product uh, buying anywhere in Metro Atlanta. Uh, really not a ton of stipulations or is that income uh, requirement. So anyone who's on financing has to be under 134,000, but it's a fantastic product. We can still close them in two to three weeks. So yeah. Yeah, so that's that's one thing. So you can put as little as three percent down if you're a repeat home buyer. You can put as little as five percent down if you'd like. You know, when we get into the jumbo category, that's a whole different story, and we'll leave that out for now because, you know, hopefully there's people buying some jumbo homes in the future. But as a first time home buyer, that's probably a little bit out of the price range. But that is anything over seven hundred twenty six thousand two hundred loan amount. Um, so that's a little bit more extensive process. But we'll we'll leave that off for now. But as far as the home buying process is concerned, so Matt, I'm getting ready to buy a home. I have no idea what to do. What would you? say is my, my first step that I should take as far as trying to get you know into my new home? First things first, I would say uh, start monitoring your credit if you're not. So use Credit Karma, uh, Experian.com. Just uh, get a feel for where your credit score is. A lot of people you know think that you've got to have over a 700 FICO score to buy a house. Not the case. Uh, most products will go down to, to 580. Um, but the higher your score is and the better you're doing in terms of monitoring your credit, the better product you're going to get, the better interest rates. That's that's first step. So what if I have a low credit score? Anything you can do for me? Absolutely. Yeah, we've got a credit enhancement team. And that's why it's really important to uh, start the process as early as possible to give us time as the lender uh, to review and analyze. But we've got a credit enhancement team where, let's say, scores come in at 640. Uh, we send your credit report to the credit enhancement team. They review it and tell us how to get the scores up. Yep. And so I actually have my own personal example, and Matt does as well. He can touch on. So I had a client with a credit score of 594. We did credit enhancement, got the credit score up to 610, and it is an FHA loan. And 
to be to be able to get you know their interest rate. Usually we have a par rate, right? And so what a par rate is for all the you guys that are listening is it is your interest rate without having to pay any points. Now points are a fee that is associated with obtaining a certain interest rate that is a percentage of the loan amount. Now this person was paying three point four points to get to where they needed to be, which was like almost $15,000. We did credit enhancement and their fee to buy down the rate now is only $4,500. So we saved about $10,000 just by paying off one credit card. That was about a $400,000 balance or excuse me, a $400 balance. I think what's important to know is that not every lender has access to be able to do credit enhancement. And the majority of them, if they do have access to a similar product or program, they don't want to take the time to do it. Yeah, um, exactly. So it's huge that you got that done. One, it saves them a ton of money. And then we can talk about the client we just priced out as well, if you want to get on that with the Borrow Smart, which we were already talking about. Yeah, this was an interesting one. So we had a client who, um, similar credit scores, a little bit over five, 580. Um, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on it, but when you're buying a condo, uh, it can be difficult to qualify when doing an FHA loan. So conventional loan types, you've got to have over a 620 uh, to be able to potentially purchase. We did credit enhancement, got her up to 642. Uh, with that Borrow Smart program, all the LLPAs, which is adjustments for people who have uh, lower FICO scores under 760, um, were removed, which ended up giving her uh, below market interest rate. And yep. now she can actually submit an offer on that condo. Yeah. And so with Borrow Smart, there's no LLPAs, which are those loan level pricing adjustments. So if you have a 640 credit score or you have a 780 credit score, it's actually the same interest rate, which is not the same for any other product, which is very crazy. So that helps as well. Um, with all that being said, let's kind of get into the, the thick of it. So I'm buying a home. I'm, I'm about to reach out to a lender because usually what's backwards is people find a real estate agent first because they want to go look at the houses. They want to do this. We would highly, highly advise you talk to one of us before you talk to an agent. You may have an agent in mind who you want to work with, but we have seen people go out. You know, They think they're going to qualify for a certain purchase price. They go out, they look at the house, they fall in love. It's either above their budget, above you know what their max monthly payment they want to stay at, or some something happens where they can't qualify for the loan. They get a little discouraged and then you know, it's either back to the drawing board or they're just like, we're going to rent because we can't qualify for the house we fell in love with. So, you know, before you talk to an agent, I think it's, I would highly recommend talking to one of us, getting you situated. And, uh, you know, if I am going to talk to you, Matt, to do my loan, I'm a W-2 employee because I think most of my listeners are W-2 employees. You know, what do, what do you need from me in order to qualify the loan? Yeah. So for, from an income standpoint, all we're looking at is, is pay stubs and then the W-2s. Um, so really not a ton of documentation needed for someone who's an employee. It can change based off of if you've got variable income, which would be a commission or a bonus, or if someone's an hourly employee and they've got overtime. But standard, we just need most recent pay stub, 30 days pay stubs, and the last two years W-2s from an income standpoint. Yep. So pretty standard. And so the reason why I wanted to get this out there is I know that as younger people you know, nowadays, a lot of people are jumping around company to company, right? They work six months here, six months there, a year here, and then they kind of find their footing, what they want to do. So I would highly advise all of you guys listening, have a folder on your computer computer where you save these documents in a PDF version if you don't have a CPA. So if you have a CPA, they're going to save these for you. And I have a lot of clients who do utilize a CPA that I got to ask them for my W-2s because obviously filing the taxes, they need all of your income statements. But these are things to have on hand to be able to calculate income yourself, figure some of these things out. Um, but you know, one of the big things that happens is once you do get pre-approved, then what's the next step? So Matt, I've, I've filled out an application with you. I've put in all my documentation. I've given you everything that you've requested. Now, what is the next step? 
in terms of when you're pre-approved? Yeah, just okay. when you're pre-approved, kind of what's the next step? You know, where are we going from you're, there? You're, so ultimately what we're going to do from the lending standpoint is we're going to, you know, go over figures, make sure you feel comfortable at that pre-approval mark. At that point, you're able to go out and start searching for houses. Uh, what we do that's a little bit different is we're, we like to get people pre-underwritten, which is a step further, just to be able to shorten those contingency timelines and close timelines, uh, make sure the offers are, are aggressive. But uh, once you've got that pre-approval portion knocked out, it's your job then to get with that realtor. If you, you know, if the client doesn't have one, we're able to connect them with somebody who's great. But that's when you really go out and start searching for houses. Yep, yep. So once I'm pre-approved, you know, let's say I don't find a house for a while, kind of what what can change with the pre-approval letter, and then when is my interest rate locked in? Because that's a big question I have when I when I fill out an application. Is that when it locks in, or you know, what's what happens there? That's the most frequent question I get asked. So what we have to have on the lending side is an address uh, to lock in uh, the interest rate for a particular property, uh, which is why it's very important once uh, once you go into contract to get that contract over to the lender immediately. Um, but you know, at the time of pre-approval, we're basically basing uh, the interest rate and the qualification off the rates for that particular time. Um, so that's something you've got to watch and stay in contact with with us on. How often do the interest rates move? Oh man, sometimes four or five, six times a day. Yeah. Uh, yep. So it's very volatile, especially right now with a lot of the stuff going on with the banks, you know, some today we had Europe potentially going to a recession or slipping into a recession. So, you know, that impacted rates in a positive direction. So the thing that you guys can be aware of, I guess, as far as being understanding of the housing market is when anything economically happens that is bad, it is good for interest rates, which is kind of a you know backwards way to put it because we want things in the economy to be good. However, when the unemployment rate is high, interest rates will be low. And the reason because of that is because when there is less people employed, they're trying to help slow down the economy to where these people can get, you know, re-employed by, you know, their whoever they're gonna work for. So when the unemployment rate drops down, interest rates are going to drive down because that interest rates, you know, when the Fed hikes or cuts the interest rate for the Fed funds rate, that directly impacts mortgage rates, that impacts your savings rates, that impacts your credit card rates and all that good stuff. So can you kind of touch on that as well for people? Yeah, yeah, no, I, th- I, th- I think you said it well. I mean, the biggest thing is that the economy is doing well, jobs reports are coming in and they're positive. That means rates are probably going to increase. Yeah. And the reason being is because people have more money, right? Because they have jobs, people are working, the economy is moving. Therefore, it's seen as robust that we're actually, you know, our GDP is going up the you know everybody that's working is making good money so therefore the borrowing rates for borrowing money is going to be higher because there's a lot of income being passed out essentially yeah yeah we'll say you know um so just to kind of give you guys a basis of that so moving back towards the home buying process so i have gotten a pre-approval letter from you how good how long is that good for standard is 120 days you've got four months yep and why do i have four months the credit report expires after four months and do i have to send you any more documents you so a good lender is going to get updates. Uh, you know, if someone's just a, a salary-based employee, a lot of times we don't need a ton of updated documentation throughout that process. But if someone's commission variable or self-employed, we do like to get updated documents occasionally just to make sure nothing's changing and you know uh, income hasn't gone down, which could affect the pre-approval. The biggest thing is we don't want you out there looking at houses and potentially not qualifying for them. Correct. And then all of you commission employees, or if you have a, a base salary plus commission, that commission is going to be averaged over a 24 month period. Or if your commission is going down this year, it's going to be a worst case factor. So let's say your commission has been increasing the past 24 months. And then from January to now, your commission is decreasing. We are just going to utilize the amount of months this year and take that and you know divide your income or your commission 
based off the amount of months to get your qualifying income. I think another important thing to talk about is uh, with people, like you said, who change jobs early in their career, they're trying to find their footing. Um, it's a concern to them. Hey, I just got a new job or I'm starting in 60 days. Is that going to impact me qualifying? That's not the case. So lenders, um, well, certain lenders can go out 90 days from an offer letter. So yep. if you're in a position and you're making $75,000 a year, you just you know finally got that offer you wanted at 150. As long as that start date is within 90 days from the closing date, we're able to utilize that higher amount of income, which can help you qualify. Yep. I got a client closing next month. That's doing, or actually the end of this month, that's doing that exact same thing. So very interesting there. So it has to be within 90 days. And then also for any college students that may be listening to this, if you get a salary job offer out of college, we can utilize your education as employment. Or if you've only been working for one year, but you think the barrier to entry to buy a house is two years, that is not the case if you are salaried. So if you are salaried and you have a degree in the same field that you work in, and that is basically it's it's subjective so if you've got a finance degree and you have some sort of job that works around numbers we could utilize it um so don't think that you're out of the process and then you know just to touch on that as well we do have the ability to have a non-occupant co-borrower so if your parent wanted to co-sign you know help you get into the home you're living in the home rent it out to friends and make an investment that's something that we can facilitate as well yeah i think that's a big miss uh misconception is i need two years history not the case the only time that really comes into play is when someone's self-employed Employed. So if you just started a business from an underwriting perspective, lenders want to see, okay, first year you may have done really well. What happened the second year? They want to average that out. But employees, normally we can we can work with it immediately. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And then if you have any other income on your tax returns, you know, that's something that we can utilize too. If you have rental income for whatever reason, you have a you know W-2 job or you have interest dividends from investments, or if you get social security, if you're older, we can utilize all that stuff as well. So um, kind of moving back to, I'm going under contract, right? I kind of want to talk through the process, what you can expect. Um, so I, I found a house. My agent's been awesome. They're working with, you know, Matt and Hunter over at Shelter. They've pre-underwritten me and we have a 14 day close. Like, wow, that's very quick. So I'm going to be in my new home a lot sooner than I expected. Cause when I went under contract, Matt, I thought it was going to take a month or so before I was going to get into my new home. So it's pretty quick. So once I'm under contract, what's my next step and what can I expect as far as, you know, payments and things that I may, you know, need to be aware of. Yeah. Yeah. I think for, uh, first things first, what we're going to do is as quickly as possible, get the disclosures out to you so that you're reviewing it. You see payment cash to close. Of course, it's as accurate as we can get it, but it is an estimate. So I think that's important to know um, in terms of payment. So you, you're going to have an inspection, which that's outside of what we do on the lending side. That's something normally the realtor is going to help you get set up. That can range anywhere from $350 to $550. Um, and then the second piece is, is that uh, the majority of the time you're going to need an appraisal done on the house. Um, and depending upon how quickly we're trying to get that turned around, that fee could be anywhere from $525 to $675. Yep. And I've seen as high as 725, just if they have to drive far or whatever the case may be. So there are, you know, some fees that are accrued before you get to the closing table. So another thing that you're going to need to be aware of um, is let's just touch on the appraisal real quick. So what the appraisal does for you, if you put 20% or more down on the property, we have the ability to potentially get an appraisal waiver, which means that you don't have to order an appraisal for the property because our system has run the numbers and felt that the valuation of the home that you have agreed on to purchase 
is sufficient and we don't need an appraisal. Now, if we do get an appraisal, then that's going to show you the valuation on the home on what we lend off of. If you have purchased the home for $500,000 and that's what you agreed on, Matt, what happens if the appraisal comes in at 505? Does that change my purchase price? It does not change your purchase price. You can change your purchase price. A lot of times what people do is they just step into the house with a little bit more equity. Um, there's some strategy around that. Sometimes what makes sense and can help the bottom line numbers is, hey, the appraisal came in $5,000 higher than our purchase price. What if we up and match that appraised value? So move it from 500 to 505 and then request five grand in seller concessions. Uh, dollar for dollar, that saves you more as a buyer. Um, and that's the same for the seller, which is important. Yep, exactly. And so what happens if it comes in at 495? What if it comes in below the value? Yeah, if it comes in short. And am I protected? So it, if you've got an appraisal contingency and we've got that report back, yes, you are protected. Uh, during that time period, you're able to negotiate uh, with the sellers. Uh, in some cases, they don't want to budge. And then you've got to make the decision of, hey, am I going to uh, bridge that gap and potentially bring more money to the table? Yep, because we're going to lend off of the appraised value if it's below the purchase price. If it's above the purchase price, that's when you have the ability to kind of decide what you want to do. So if you're trying to lower your cash to close, your monthly payment's going to be a tad bit higher if we bump up the purchase price because you're then going to be putting 5% down on 505 instead of 5000 but you're going to bring 5000 less dollars to the closing table. So it's really just whatever you you want to do. And that's why working with us is going to be beneficial because we'll be able to depict that for you and what the changes are going to be. Um, so we we got the appraisal. It came in at value. What about my financing? So it's already been underwritten, but I, do I have a financing contingency or is that something that I can decide on or to make my offer more competitive? So if you're pre-underwritten, that's part of the beauty of it is you're, we're trying to come as close to um, matching a cash offer, which that's part of the, the attractiveness of a cash offer. So there's no financing contingency. There's no appraisal contingency. Um, normally, if we're pre-underwritten, we, we tell you, we suggest, hey, if you want to, you're good to go. Your finances are fine. You can waive this financing contingency, uh, which is going to make the offer more attractive. Yep. And then we also have the due diligence period, which is when you can back out of the offer for whatever reason. If you if you roll out of bed the wrong way and you decide you hate the house that you're under contract on and you're within due diligence, you can back out. Now, what happens in due diligence is you're giving earnest money. So can we talk about earnest money for a second? Absolutely. So earnest money is... Uh, funds that will be utilized towards your down payment and closing costs, which is very important. It's not on top of, you know, if you're putting down 5% and the earnest money that you've decided on is five grand, that five grand is going to go towards that 5%. So it's not on top of it. Uh, the earnest money is basically uh, funds that you're putting up uh, and for the seller to see that if something were to go wrong or you were to back out outside of the due diligence period, they get those funds. Yep. So a lot of times when you're in higher price points, they want to see big money to show that you've got a lot of skin in the game. Yep. Yep. So that would be, you know, obviously a good faith deposit to show that you're a competitive buyer is kind of how I frame it. But again, that is going to be applied to your cash to, or, you know, your closing costs and down payment. So when you get the loan estimate and you see the cash to close, that's going to be your down payment plus closing costs, less your earnest money. So that is how that figure comes through. So then we disclose the day we get the contract. So we get the appraisal ordered. You signed off on the disclosures. The appraisal takes place. It comes back. We get outside of our contingency period. So what can I expect You know, throughout this point of the process? My loan's been underwritten. It's been conditionally approved, which does not mean fully approved. But what is that? What is conditionally approved and what can I expect after that? Yeah. So conditionally approved basically means that, you know, the underwriters reviewed the entire file. Um, it's very difficult to, to go through underwriting, even if we have all the documentation or there not be some questions. Sometimes it's 
uh, letter of explanation. But um, ultimately, these conditions are what the underwriter needs to be able to clear to close the file, meaning you're completely cleared through underwriting. You have clear funding. Uh, so you're re- you're ultimately ready to close. Yep. So once I am cleared to close, you know what happened? Do I bring a check to the closing table? Can I come to the closing table with just thirty thousand dollars in cash and give it to the attorney? What do I do? No. Nope. So with the amount of um, uh, funds that are mishandled, really the entire industry requires, uh, and most attorneys will require, any money over five thousand dollars be wired directly to the attorney's office. Uh, what we try to do, and, and a lot of lenders fail at this, is get um, all numbers prepared two days in advance of closing so that wire can go out. We're not worried about uh, maybe the funds not hitting the, the attorney's office on the day of closing. So why wouldn't the numbers be correct? Uh, why wouldn't the numbers be correct? Well, okay, great question. I'm so, giving you a leading question. Yes, I can help. Yeah, yeah, yeah I was going to yeah, say. No, great question. So uh, what ends up happening is we go through the underwriting process and we're trying to tighten up numbers throughout the process. We have to, in Georgia, balance with the attorney's office. So we get everything clear to close. Our closer will pull together their numbers. Uh, we send it off to the attorney's office, and they basically do a checks and balances. Um, and normally the loan has to be clear to close for that to take place which is why it's important to work with a lender that's going to get that done early in the process. Yep. Yep. So I would say, you know, a couple of misconceptions we see about the, you know, the home buying process, one that it's stressful, which we can make it streamlined and not stressful. If you're working with people that are going to protect you and make sure you're handled, that is the case. And then the 10, 20% down is not needed. Um, and then we can close in 14 days. So I just kind of wanted to lay out, you know, what it takes to buy a home, what to expect when you are buying a home. And uh, Matt, you got anything else for the listeners before we, we send it off? No, no. I, I think people, um, one of the biggest mistakes is just waiting too long to really talk to a lender. Uh, it doesn't hurt. It's not like we've got to pull your credit on the first conversation. Uh, if you're thinking about buying in the next eight to 12 months or even beyond call have a question with us uh, we can kind of you know work through things see see what the situation is uh earlier we talk to you the better yeah well i appreciate you joining me thank you hopefully you guys will be working with one of us over here at the southern legacy group with uh, shelter home mortgage here in atlanta we're licensed in alabama georgia florida tennessee and the carolinas close we're, cl- we're close on tennessee that license should hit soon All right. Well, anybody in the Southeast, call your boys to uh, get you into a home. We'll make it smooth. We'll make it easy. And uh, you won't regret working with us. So appreciate you joining me. Absolutely. Appreciate you having me on. All right, everyone, please share this with anyone you know buying a home. We'd love to help them out and uh, hope to hear from a lot of you soon. Appreciate it. Love you guys.